You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. pleasure of introducing our next uh, speaker for our Voices series, but I want to tell a story first. So in 2011, um, I was in Bible college uh, halfway through my degree and was driving up to Richmond uh, to lead worship uh, part-time interim at a church uh, that met here in the city, Um, and I really didn't want to be in Bible college, and I really liked Richmond a lot. It's where I started to really fall in love with the city. And I remember the position uh, for this worship leader job, a full-time position opened up, and I really wanted that position. And I thought I was a shoe-in because uh, I'd already been leading worship there for six months. Plot twist, I didn't get the job. Uh, But our speaker, Tommy Moore, did. (laughs) And uh, I was was pretty pissed about that. And I held that against him for a little bit, and um, I remember he reached out. He had the audacity to reach out and ask for a coffee after he got the job that I wanted to hang out. Um, And my life has not been the same since that coffee meeting, because after then, um, I have made uh, my best friend um, in this person, uh, my mentor, somebody that I I look up to in, in many ways, somebody that I've driven across the country with. Uh, somebody that we drove to Ohio to see Radiohead with, my buddy Brian, who's down here from Ohio right now, too. Um, Tommy has been there through the highs and lows of my life, um, not just as a pastor, but as a friend. Um, And he's got um, a huge heart uh, for people um, and has challenged me and and how I uh, view this world and how I view people. And so I'm beyond honored to introduce Tommy Moore. We have him on loan from Asbury United Methodist Church in Shreveport. Louisiana, he flew up for, uh, for the speaking gig and our fantasy football draft on Friday. So we got two birds with, a, two birds with one stone. But anyways, Tommy Moore, everyone, welcome to the stage. Thanks, man. No pressure. <laughs> I haven't heard Landon sing live in like three years. And I was like, I can't cry right before I speak. It's going to throw me off a little bit, you know. Um, Before I even get started in what I want to talk about this morning, I just want to encourage this community. Um, It's exceptional and and unusual and unique to have a faith community that is inclusive and, and, and takes an expansive view of God's grace and God's kingdom. It's it's rare for a church to truly do that and also be young and be have this kind of energy. There are plenty of churches, uh, denominations that are progressive overall, but most of those are just older, dying congregations. I'm not trying to be a downer here. But I want to encourage you that this is special. Um, it's something worth fighting for and, and continuing to, to move forward in. So thank you for being a church that I uh, really look up to and aspire to, to recreate in my own community and circles. So thanks for that. Uh, how many of you remember your first boyfriend or girlfriend? Mine was a girl named Martha. I met her in, a, in my church's youth group, and I remember one day we were at McDonald's for lunch, and she said, hey, Tommy, we need to talk, which is never good. You're like, uh-oh. 
And she said, uh, I think God is telling me that we should break up. And I was like, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> you know, I didn't get that message. Like, can we go back? Can we circle back? Uh, can we disobey him? Like, what, what's, what's, what, what's the next step here? But uh, we broke up. It, wasn't, you know, <laughs> it didn't work out because that's kind of a trump card. You can't really come back from that. And when you're 15 or 16 and you hear that, and she, I think she meant that. But really, if she had the, like self-reflection, self-awareness, what she really meant was, I don't really like you that much, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not that into you, and I think we should, we should see other people. That's what was going on. But when you can use God as a, as a way to kind of get out of the thing, it's, it's kind of hard to beat. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about spiritual bypassing, and we'll kind of get into some definitions of that. But this is just a really silly, maybe common story of spiritual bypassing. When you use spiritual language or religious language, to avoid awkward or difficult or hard things. And so this, this term, spiritual bypassing, comes from a psychologist, Robert Masters. I'll read his specific definition. Spiritual bypassing is the use of spiritual practices, beliefs, and beliefs to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, our unresolved wounds, and our developmental needs. So in other words, it's when we use religious language to get out of difficult situations or conversations. And a lot of times we kind of spiritually bypass ourselves if we're a follower of Christ or if we're spiritual religious. We, sometimes we, we mitigate our own disappointment. We try to avoid our own disappointment or not acknowledge our own desires or longings. When something in life doesn't work out the way we want it to, we say, well, maybe just God just has a better plan. And maybe that's true, but there's also space to say, hey, I'm really disappointed I didn't get that job. I'm really upset that that family relationship is kind of breaking up or that um, whatever it might be. There's space for both hope that maybe God has a plan, but there's also space to say, I'm really disappointed that that happened or that played out that way, or to acknowledge that I really wanted that. But so many times we use spiritual language to dismiss our own desires or longings, not be aware of what's going on. Now, in the story with Martha, it's just a silly story. It didn't work out, and there's so many reasons why that relationship shouldn't have worked out. It's a good thing for both of us, but it's a silly story. But there's a lot of times when spiritual bypassing is not as silly or as lighthearted or as easy to kind of get over. There's a lot of times when spiritual bypassing can be really harmful. And uh, it can happen on a personal and a corporate level. And I want to first talk about just the personal level of things. So when I was a kid, we had, we had a trauma um, happen to our family. I had a little sister. She was two and a half years old, Stephanie. And we both got sick, but she, because she was young, her body couldn't handle the sickness. And she passed away within a span of like two days of getting the sickness. It was like this Mack truck just hitting our family with loss. It was hard to understand and hard to process. And my mom buried her grief in the church, and my dad buried his grief in work. He, over, he just worked all the time and didn't really want to deal with it. But I remember as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old kid, I was just really pissed off. And I was kind of sold a certain bill of goods about how God worked in the world, and then this unspeakable loss happens. And I remember being with, with, with other Christians who meant well, but they would say things like, well, Stephanie's in a better place right now. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm pissed off. I want, I want her to be here. Or God has a big plan for this. Like, I don't care. Nothing's going to make sense of this loss. And these people meant well, but they kind of use spiritual cliches to kind of like, there, there, feel better. I'm going to be praying for you, stuff like that, to kind of avoid the deal. And our family kind of took that, that method of, of dealing with grief and avoiding dealing with grief and just went on. And we never really talked about what the loss of Stephanie meant and how that felt. And we grieved separately, and we're not at all, honestly. Um, and as I look back, as I've gone through therapy over this stuff, 
uh, I've realized that, that that loss was an opportunity for our family to grow closer together, to really bond uh, over that, even though it's still horrible. And that was an opportunity that we missed because we weren't able to, to give language and weight to that kind of loss, and we just grew further apart. So spiritual bypassing is when we use religious language to avoid hard things. And for me, as a, as a kid growing up in, in, in a family that lost a child, it was kind of like tiptoeing around a boulder all the time. We never talked about it. We never talked about how we felt about those things. It didn't give weight to it. Now, in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this idea of, of grief and of honoring loss that's called uh, um, kabad, C-H-A-B-A-D. It means to give honor to something, to give weight to something to celebrate it or to grieve it, to, to give it the weight that it deserves so that you can move on and integrate that experience into your life. And Jewish people have a process of the funeral they call a sitting shiva, where the family will sit together for I think seven days is a long time, which sounds like a long time for me. But they sit around and they share stories from that person's life. And they, and they honor that person and what they meant to that, to that community as a way to, to move forward in the grief. So the, the Jewish world had a process for grieving loss. When we look at the story of Job, when he lost his family, he sat in his grief. His friends surrounded him in his grief, gave him terrible advice, but they did it. You know, they sat around him in his grief. We have the story of David when he lost his child. He, he sat for a period of mourning. We have the story of, of Lazarus when he died in, in that family and community grieving when Jesus was around. And Jesus said this in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not blessed are those who avoid mourning, who avoid loss, who avoid grieving. Blessed are those who mourn, who give space for the weight of the loss. Blessed are those who, who deal with that, for they will be comforted. They'll be healed. So many times we want to like quickly get out of that discomfort, but God says if you can sit with it and give space for it and give weight to it, you can find healing. Spiritual bypassing is when we use religious language or beliefs to avoid hard things. It happens a lot in interpersonal relationships when we, when we tell someone, oh, I'll pray for you as a way to end the conversation. Now, praying for someone is great. That's fine. But when we say, I'll, I'll be praying for you as a way to be like, let's end this conversation and talk about something else. That's bypassing a hard thing because we get uncomfortable. And when we say God has a better plan for you, it's like, that's fine. But maybe just sit with him for a while and say, that was really hard. Sit with him in that, in that space. So it happens on a personal level, but it also happens on, in institutional levels. And so I grew up Southern Baptist. And if you guys don't know what that is, that's good. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that I really appreciate about being Southern Baptist. Like I, can, I know the Bible inside out because we just read that thing all the time. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for how committed they are to their view of morality or spirituality. That's fine. Uh, I'm no longer that. So I grew up Southern Baptist, but a few months ago, this massive report came out from an organization called Guidepost about uh, abuse that was being covered up over the past 20 years in the Southern Baptist Church. Now, to give the Southern Baptist Convention or, uh, credit, they hired guideposts. They heard story after story from, from victims that were sexually assaulted or abused, uh, coming to them and saying, we weren't handled correctly. And so the Southern Baptist Convention said, we need to do a thorough investigation into what's going on in our denomination. So they hired guideposts. Guideposts spent two years accumulating information and data, and they came out with it a couple months ago. And it was a bombshell, like Catholic Church scandal bad. Like every level of leadership to the very top, the bottom, bad. Abuse after abuse after abuse at every level. And the main thing that we kept seeing over and over again was the covering up of abuse. Uh, that when, people, when victims would come to the elders or the deacons or the, whatever it might be, whatever the process was for reporting assault and abuse, they were dismissed and, and quieted. And a lot of times the line was given like, 
hey, I understand that that was hard, but this guy, this pastor, is really, really good at what he does. And the church is growing, and we're seeing souls saved. And hey, we really get that this stuff's happening, but if we made this publicly known, it would damage the mission of the church. So they use, like, people's eternal salvation as leverage to cover up abuse, all along missing the whole point that, no, it's not the, it's not the, the awareness of the abuse that's causing harm to the mission of God. It's the abuse, right? It's the lack of accountability that's creating harm. And it doesn't matter how much good this guy does on the surface if underneath he's abusing people left and right. But the Southern Baptist Convention and, and plenty of other denominations, it's not just a Southern Baptist problem, often you use religious language to cover up and sweep under the rug unhealthy things that are happening and under the name of the mission of, of God or the kingdom of God or whatever. But honestly, what they're doing is a disservice and, and doing more harm in doing so. And Jesus uh, gets fiery at times in the Gospels. And one of my favorite Jesus lines, because it's like from the Sopranos, <laughs> it's like Jesus says the mob boss. He says, if you are, I'm going to pull it up here from the message translation. If you are a religious leader that takes advantage of the trust that your people have given you, and you harm their faith in the process, you should tie a giant stone around your neck and go jump in a river. That's mob boss Jesus. Right? <laughs> That's co concrete shoes here at the bottom of the river, baby. If you're a religious leader and you abuse the trust that people give you, tie a millstone around your neck and jump in the ocean. That's pretty strong. Jesus, when he gets pissed off, it's mostly, maybe entirely, when the religious leaders are abusing their power. Jesus is passionate about the church being a healthy place and a safe place for, for everyone, including the outcasts, to come and, and be safe and be loved and, and, and find health and experience God's grace. I'm one thing I'm passionate about, my line for ministry is, how we treat people is the mission. That, that's the gospel. The gospel is how we treat people. It's it. You can't like build this whole system and say, I can justify the mistreatment of people in order to accomplish this other goal. No, the mission of the church is how we treat people. That is the gospel. How we love people is the gospel. Now, Stephen knows me because I, I bought a house in Carytown a while back. And uh, probably a year into living there, I saw this young couple move down the street. And I was like, oh, this guy seems cool. It was Stephen. He just got back from seminary, right, from Chicago. And he had a vision for planting a, a church community. And so I knew him that. But I was in Richmond because I worked at a church down the street for about seven years. And most of that time was a really beautiful, meaningful time for my family and for myself. I felt I was able to, to live into some giftings and, and grow as a leader. It was a really beautiful time for the most part. <laughs> At the end, it wasn't as great because the church entered into it, or already was in one I became aware of, a season of real dysfunction and unhealth. And we had a ton of leaders that were given time, money, blood, sweat, and tears for the church leaving. We saw this pattern of just departure of strong leaders who were being wounded at the church and then leaving. And we didn't really have an exit interview strategy for how to deal with that. And we had a season in which 100% of staff, turn, staff turned over in about six to eight months, except for the boss, except for the lead guy. Um, and I remember as I was one of the last guys to turn in my resignation, I was in a room with the elders. And we were talking about just the massive departure of people, but also the staff and how they were going to move forward in that. And the elder said this line. He said, you know what I think? I think God is just pruning us for future growth. He's pruning us for future growth. This is a good thing. God's, we're losing these people so God can prune us for future growth. And now that comes from the Bible. 
Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. He says, uh, you abide in me. I'm, you're the, I'm the root. You're the vine. Whatever. Uh, you can bear fruit. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Jesus says that stuff. And he says, like, all right, I'm going to cut off dead branches and throw them in the fire so you can bear more fruit. That's the deal. When Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about individual growth and character and growing into the likeness of Christ. It's about personal transformation. It's not about corporate breaking up. And the way that this elder used this passage ironically prevented the thing that could create growth, introspection, and and self-awareness of of how can we become more like Christ. So using this passage as a way to dismiss the criticisms actually prevented introspection. And just a few problems with using this verse in this way. And I've heard so many people use this verse in this way, so it's not just this church. Uh, There's a few problems with it, right? One is that it's, it's about personal transformation, not about corporate whatever. Uh, change. Two, it positions you as, as the person on God's side. And the people that are being pruned as dead weight, dead branches, as the enemy, it's a really arrogant posture because it paints yourself as the hero of the story. And they just missed the boat on that. And I want to say it's not just that church. I was in a meeting a month, a month ago with local Methodist leaders in Louisiana, and I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm now getting in, involved in the Methodist world, and I love it. And that room was great. It's it a really beautiful, diverse room of people aspiring to be, to be leaders. I, I love the room, but one of the key leaders is getting up. And so what's happening in the Methodist church, I hope I don't get in trouble with this, uh, they're, they're, they're dividing. Okay, so uh, they're, they're voting over the issue of human sexuality, and there's some, some other caveats there. But to make, keep it simple, the Methodist church overall is moving towards being inclusive on the issue of human sexuality which I think is a beautiful thing because there's plenty of denominations that don't do that. And if that's where you're at, go to one of those denominations or stay where you're at and just disagree. That's fine. The Methodist Church is moving that direction, but obviously there's, there's some tension in that because half of the denomination doesn't agree on that issue. Um, so the churches that are really conservative on this issue are choosing to form a new denomination, which that's happened historically with Presbyterians and Lutherans. It's, hap- it's, it's, it's happened before. Um, but you're having a denomination split where some churches are choosing to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church because they are conservative on this issue. That's as simple as I can keep that. A person in the room who is progressive on the issue, I am as well, used the pruning language. They said, hey, this is happening, and there's some churches that are leaving, but God's just pruning us for future growth. And I'm like, that's a terrible take. (laughs) What's happening is we're disagreeing on something enough to divide. And it's sad and it's scary. It's going to be hard. There's going to be financial implications. There's going to be staffing implications. There's going to be division in individual churches, state level, national level. It's going to be a hard journey. And it can be sad. There's going to be relationships that are broken over this. There's going to be tension. And to, to just cast it as God's pruning us for future growth, it positions you on God's side and the other side is dead weight, which wasn't the case for decades, centuries. It's an arrogant take, in my opinion. I hope, I'm going to make sure this doesn't get broadcast to those people. Um, when you use the language of pruning in that way, it's arrogant because it puts you in, this, in, in God's side and the other people as the enemy or as dead weight. That's just not healthy. So spiritual bypassing is when we use religious language to avoid hard things, to avoid hard realities. And it can happen in, we can do it to ourselves. We can do it to other people. Other people can do it to us. And it can also happen in institutional levels. It's when we use God and his authority as a way to kind of dismiss maybe the, the truth of it. So in closing, I just want to say, what, how, how do we deal with spiritual bypassing? And a couple of things that are simple. The first thing I say is 
when you're in a difficult situation, you just face the truth of it. Like, look it in the eye and, and handle it. Be with it. Jesus has this quote in the Gospels. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love Gloria Steinem's version of this. She says, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Right? Yeah. The truth is hard sometimes, but if you want to get through it, you've got to look at it. You've got to spend time, spend time in it. You can't fix a problem until you admit that it exists. Forgiveness, the definition for forgiveness means to let go of something, to cast aside and to move on. You can't forgive something if you don't acknowledge that you're holding on to it in the first place. So to, 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 to avoid bypassing it, face the truth of it, give it weight, give it that honor that it deserves. And honor can be positive and negative. It can be celebration or it can be grief or at both at the same time. So you've got to give weight to it. Secondly, I'd say invite others and invite God into it. Uh, the story of the Gospels is not a story of rescue. It's a story of companionship. Jesus didn't just come and just pull us up out of the difficulty. He joined us in it. Emmanuel, God with us. He's a man acquainted with sorrows and grief. He understands human suffering. So God is not a God who just says, I'm going to yank you out of it. He says, I'm going to join you in it. Psalm 23 was kind of the passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want all this kind of stuff. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because God yanked me out like with a helicopter and got me out of the valley. No, because God is, is with me. God is present with me in the valley of the shadow of death. His rod, God's rod, God's staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 is a psalm of companionship in difficulty, not an escape or rescue from it. So face the truth of it, invite others and invite God into it. Many of us want to like go from Last Supper to resurrection, but there's no resurrection without the cross. Invite God into that with you. And just a few closing questions. When, when's the time you have seen spiritual bypassing in your life? When someone has used God or religion to kind of avoid or suppress or quiet and silence uh, a hard thing? When's the time you've done it to yourself or done it to others? And then the question, if something like that comes up for you, just ask the question, what was trying to be bypassed? What was trying to be avoided and why? What's going on there? When's the last time you bypassed yourself? I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and he just jumped from one job to the next. And as I was talking to him about bypassing, he's like, I did that to myself when I changed jobs. I was just like, oh, God wants me to, to go over to this other job. I was like, okay, well, what do you think was really happening? He's like, well, I, wasn't, uh, I was unfulfilled. I was afraid that this thing wasn't going to work out. Like I was, basically, this is really a fear or desire-based decision. But I just put my, my gut as God, and God's telling me to go over here. I was like, well, what would it look like to take a step back and just be self-reflective and say, what am I afraid of? Or what am I longing for? And to just become aware of that. And to say, God, how might you join me in those desires? Or how might you join me in those fears? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. I'm not a good closer, guys. I just, we're done. <laughs> God, thanks for this morning. Just be with us. Um, we sang some songs that were really powerful about your presence and about our longings. And I pray that you just give us an awareness of what's going on inside of us and, and meet us in those things. In Christ's name.
That's pretty good, man.